Hey, well, good morning, Good Shepherd. I'm Talbot Davis. I am the pastor here and grateful that when Ron Dozier does that flex thing, he's wearing a long sleeve shirt because if it was short sleeve, every man in the house would just be so intimidated by what you saw. And uh, so good. We are in this series called Christmas Hope. And uh, because when Mary delivered that baby on Christmas Eve, she didn't just deliver a baby to the world, she delivered hope. And it started a few weeks ago, was, was hope when you're impatient, and then hope when things aren't going your way, hope when things are going your way was last week. Today it's called hope when you're afraid. Christmas Eve will be hope for you. Christmas morning will be hope when you've lost hope and hope. And you're not going to believe what we're going to do on New Year's Day, which is also, you're just not going to believe it. New Year's Hope. Isn't that amazing? And that's what we're doing on uh, Sunday, January 1st, New Year's Hope. And then we got a whole new series about doubt start coming in January. But today, it is hope when you're afraid. And this is one of those messages that comes from a few different places within the scripture. So if you have your Bible with you and you, you need to locate one place, go ahead and locate uh, the Gospel of Luke chapter one. But just know that Really, the verses are going to be projected up on the screen, and you'll see how all that is going to work together. I'm going to be doing a little bit of jumping, biblical jumping around, which isn't often how it happens, but occasionally it just fits, and I think you'll understand why today. We, we, we love for you to be able to see the Scripture for yourself, whether it's on the screen, whether it's in your Bible, or if you have the Bible app, because there's a couple of things that we believe about Scripture at this church and we just like to remind ourselves about them. And, and one of those things that we believe it is not a book. It's a library, collection of a lot of books written by a lot of authors over a long span of time and in multiple writing styles. Today, we're going to be able to look at some biography and then a little later, some wisdom within the biblical library. And that's just kind of a fact. The, the other thing that we b- believe that you may not share this belief yet, and that's okay. We just like to be honest with where we stand in leadership of the church. We believe there's no other library like this one. We believe that in some miraculous way, God breathed his life into its words. He put his truth onto its pages. The Bible really is inspired, eternal, and true. And out of that conviction, we do something a little bit unusual. We lift our Bibles up together when we talk about the Bible. And again... Maybe you've never been here before, never tuned in before, and, and you just think this is kind of odd. And we decided to admit, admit that it, it, it is odd, but we've discovered this is a moment of oddity that shapes our identity as a community, that we're a collection of people who do not have life figured out, but we know who does. And we're glad to surrender ourselves to his authority. Amen. And before I say any more words, let's pray. So Father, thank you for the Holy Spirit who breathed life and truth and all the books of Scripture. And, and I just confess and declare and delight in the fact that I am completely dependent on that same Holy Spirit to breathe life and truth into my message now. Fill me and those within the sound of my voice with a fresh pouring out of who you are and what you're about because I really am powerless without you, but because of you, never helpless. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today, today, today's going to be kind of great. Is it okay if I just say that at the 
very beginning. The reason it's going to be great is because we get to dive right in at the very beginning into the Bible and how it orders the telling of the Christmas story. And as if all that wasn't good enough that we're starting right in with the Bible, how it tells the Christmas story, even better is that we're going to do it in such a way that you all are going to help me. Isn't that great? It's like audience participation. Because here's what we're going to do. We're going to read a, a, a selection of verses. And when we come to that section in what is projected up on the screen, that is all caps and underline, that's your clue that I stop reading and y'all take over. And, and this is so important. It's so important that we get this right when we read about the Christmas story in this way, that we're going to take a practice swing and the practice swing is from the Easter story, because we can't get the resurrection stuff out of the way. And, and, and so you'll see how this goes. It's Matthew chapter 28, verse 5, and I'm going to be reading along, and when you see all caps, you, you, read, you pick it up there. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. For I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. That was pretty good, but I have to admit nine o'clock did better, not to stir up any sort of uh, jealousy though. So we, 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 we got the resurrection stuff out of the way. Now let's turn to how it is that the biblical authors tell the Christmas story. And our very first example is going to come from the gospel of Luke chapter one and verse 13, where an angel speaks to Zechariah. And if you were with us for the first couple of weeks of the series, you may remember Zechariah. If you weren't here, that's okay. So great that you're here today. But here's what happens. Luke chapter one, verse 13. But the angel said to him, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. And the son that she ends up bearing is John the Baptist. And so then we move over to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1 and verse 20. And here's where an angel appears to Joseph. And he tells Joseph that his life is preparing to take a major, major turn. Look what he says. But after he, this is Joseph, had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And then we go back over to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1 and verse 30, where, where an angel appears to Mary. And in the same way an angel told Joseph, his life's fixing to change, an angel appears to Mary to tell her the same thing. Take a look at what it says, chapter 1, verse 30. But the angel said to her, Mary, you have found favor with God. And then finally, you're probably catching the pattern. Finally, Luke chapter 2, verse 10. And this is Christmas Eve night, and this is after baby Jesus is born, and there's been this light show in the sky that appears to our favorite third shift workers ever. I don't know if you know that's what the shepherds were, but they were the third shift workers in Bethlehem. And look what it says to them. But the angel said to them, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Oh my gosh. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. It's so clear 
that the architecture of the Christmas story revolves around that command, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. And when you remember, or when you hear, if you've never heard this before, that, that repetition for the biblical authors, repetition is the Bible's neon light that says, pay attention to me. Because writing in ancient times, you may not have known this, writing in ancient times was very expensive. The, the materials involved in writing were, were extraordinarily expensive. And the actual act of writing was backbreaking labor. It was hard to do in a way we can't really comprehend or conceive of. And, and, and so the writers of the biblical books, they're like, hey, writing breaks my bank and it broke my back. And I don't have access to all caps. I, I don't have italics. I don't have a way to bold the important stuff. So if there's something that I really want you to notice and really want you to see, I'm just gonna be repeated again and again and again. And when you realize that, it's so clear that whatever else we're supposed to know about Christmas, the heart of it is this command, do not be afraid. And you, you wonder, well, why? I mean, isn't this silent night, holy night? Isn't this God so loved the world? Isn't this bundle of joy for all of us and for our salvation? Why would there be so much fear that all these commands would have to counteract? And, and, and one answer to that question, why, why was everybody involved so afraid, of, afraid is, is that when we read about an angel speaking to someone in scripture, we tend to think that angels look kind of like this. This is what we think of as an angel. Of course, you wouldn't be afraid if someone like that appeared to you. And when, when in actuality, it seems that maybe angels look a little more like this. And, 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 and so they are quite intimidating creatures. And so, yeah, you have someone who shows up looking like that and they start talking to you, of course you're gonna be afraid. And, and, and so that may be one answer to the question, why were all the characters in the Christmas story so scared of their own shadows? And, but, I, but I think there's more. I, I think there's a, a deeper answer to that question. I, I think there's a certain timelessness to the command not to be afraid because what was true in ancient times around the birth of Jesus is even more true in modern times around our day. Because do we not live in an atmosphere of fear? Do we not have an attitude of dread of, of things that might happen, of what could happen, of what we've been told is going to happen? And so often for so many of us, the fear that's sort of been poured into our lives or we've allowed into our lives or we marinate on in our minds, it freezes us. We, and and we, so we, don't, we don't act. We're so paralyzed by the fear that we forget to live. And this, this goes from things that are deeply personal, the kind of things that make us fearful. It was a couple of months ago and it was the middle of the night. It's probably like 2 a.m. And, and, I, and, I, and I got up and I noticed on my, my phone that I had a missed call and the missed call came from 1 a.m. And I noticed that the missed call was from our adult daughter in Nashville at 1 a.m. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh my God, what happened? Who has her? How much is the ransom gonna be? Who 
has taken my baby and all these things go through my mind because you know it's never a good thing when they call out of nowhere because boomers in the house, you know, you know, millennials never call without texting first. And so she had called first, has to be a disaster. And I called her back at two o'clock in the morning and she goes, ah, it was just a pocket dial, daddy. My, my friend and I were walking home from the Backstreet Boys. And when I heard that, we had a whole nother crisis we had to deal with. It's like, you went to a Backstreet Boys concert? What are you, eight or 33? What's going on? Didn't I raise you better than that? And so all kinds of fear turns into it. all kind of a different crisis. But there's, there's more. You, you, you know. You know what it's like to live in fear, to, to walk in dread. Fear that you're going to get a subpoena. Fear that the doctor's going to call and let you know that the test results have con- some, some concern in them and you need to come in to talk about it in person. Fear that your children who've been really struggling are going to fall off the ledge. Fear that your parents... And you've been in the middle of your parents' marriage your whole life and you know that something's not right. And and so you have this lingering fear that what is troubled is actually going to fall apart. Fear that that when you go to work one day, that that there's going to be something in your inbox and that something in your inbox is in fact a pink slip. So many fears that so many of us have and, and we take one possible issue and we horribleize it. And we live into the, that reality that most of our greatest fears are the ones, hello, that never come true. And in addition to all that, all those fears that, that govern so many of our lives, there's, you introduce COVID into the mix. I mean, Lord, who hasn't been fearful of, of getting it at some point on the one hand, And then once you get diagnosed with it, hasn't been fearful that you were going to be one of those people for whom, or you or someone you love is going to be one of those cases that was super, super serious. And as bad as the disease itself has been, as I've shared with some of you before, I I have to believe that COVID collateral is even worse. It's made us suspicious of one another. it's turned others of us into into recluses or made some of us lethargic or given us a combination of both. It's taught our children to look at strangers as if they are walking infections. Like, tell me that's not gonna have some long-term negative consequences when you teach your children to be fearful of everybody they see. So yeah, whether, whether COVID just it created all kinds of new fears or it magnified, amplified existing ones, I don't know. But the fact remains that that command that the angels keep giving to the characters in the Christmas story, fear not, fear not, fear not, so incredibly relevant. Now, before I move on, talking about fear, we do have to acknowledge that there, there are those occasions where fear is pretty helpful. Why the, while, so don't hear what I'm not saying. So the ability to project a current dilemma into a future distress, quite beneficial. Like we're pretty glad that automobile engineers 
that they were able to diagnose the dangers of people propelling through windshields, and so they invented seatbelts and airbags. It's good. Or that adventurers were able to process the, the dilemmas of not having sanitation, the dangers of cholera, and so they developed sanitation systems. Or, or that our, our country w- was really became diligent about the dangers, the fear of lung cancer, and so smoking rates dropped dramatically. Or the geniuses in road engineering. That, that, yeah, we can't have anarchy on the road, so let's come up with stop signs and red lights. And we're grateful for all, all those products of a healthy kind of fear, but that's, that's not what I'm talking about. That's not what most of us wrestle with. Most of us, within the sound of my voice, the kind of fear that have governed your lives in recent days and recent months are the fears of those things that never come true. And bumping up against all that, bumping against the role of fear in our lives, bumping up against, there's one more command, one one more thing that we're fearful of, because after all these commands, do not be afraid, do not be afraid, do not be afraid. You know what else you're scared of? I'm scared I can't obey that command not to be afraid. So you just add one more fear to the mix. Bumping up against all of it. We come to these words from the Older Testament. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7. One of my favorite verses in Scripture. The theme verse of this timeless collection of timely wisdom. And look at what Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7 says. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And you're like, what? Oh, we, we've been having, do not be afraid, do not be afraid, do not be, fear not, fear not, fear not. And Proverbs chapter one, verse seven comes along and says, fear more. The whole Christmas story, do not be afraid. Proverbs, no, be afraid. Be very afraid. And, and what's, what's going on here? Have, have we caught the Bible in a hopeless kind of contradiction? Some of you who were, who were maybe dragged here by family or friends who love you and they wanted you to come to church, but you didn't really much want to come because you're not sure what you believe and you're, you're right now, you're like, see, I told you. It's all a sham. The Bible has all kinds of internal contradictions. Who can believe it anyway? And at the end of it all, they're just going to ask us for money anyway. You're feeling pretty smug. Except when you peel back the layers... Something so much more interesting is going on. When, when you peel back the layers, these two commands, do not be afraid, do not be afraid, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, they don't contradict one another, they complete one another. When you really understand where Scripture is going and, and, and what Scripture is staying, you get to that place where it's not scattered, it's really sublime, it's not bungled, it's beautiful. Because think about it. When those angels told those characters in the Christmas story and and even in the Easter story, do not be afraid, what was the object of their fear? The object of their fear was life. An an unwanted assignment. A, A new wrinkle in the direction of their life. An unexpected encounter. They were fearful of life. 
And yet, what, what's the object of fear in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So when you put those two pieces together, oh yeah, those people who need to be told do not be so afraid, they're afraid of life, yet nevertheless, the beginning, the, the, the foundation of a healthy life is a fear of the Lord. They do not contradict one another. They complete one another in a way that is both coherent and a way that is gorgeous. Because here's what I want you to know, good shepherd, every one of you who lives in dread, of the next phone call that you're going to get or the next piece of mail that you're going to open or the next email that you are going to get. Here's what I want you to, to know. You will fear life less when you fear God more. Yeah. You, you will have less irrational fear of life when you have a more appropriate fear of God. You'll fear life less when you fear God more. You know what's so interesting with what we do with Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, and even the whole idea of fearing the Lord is we try to tone it down. In fact, some of you right now in your mind, you're like mulling over that bottom line today, and you want to domesticate the fear of the Lord. You went, well, it's, it's not really saying we should ever be scared of, of, of God or, or Jesus because it's Christmas after all. And sweet baby, Jesus wouldn't want us to be scared of anything, much less God. Oh, really? Like when Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, <laughs> verse 5, he said, but I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. You're, Jesus said that? Sweet little Jesus said that? Yes, he did. And you, when you realize what he could do, what he has every right to do, what is fully within God's power, and yet what he chooses to do through the cross and on the resurrection, man, it puts everything into perspective because it makes you realize that you have that con contrast between what he could, could do and what he chooses to do, between the hell that is real. There's nothing in the Bible. There's nothing in the New Testament that ever makes us think that hell is not real people. And yet his heart beats with the longing that every person he has ever created would end up in heaven for all time. And just this, this healthy fear of what is possible deepens my trust of who is actual. Because when you understand that nothing life throws your way could ever be as bad as hell, and yet no blessing life brings you could ever be as good as heaven. And when you have that set, and when you have that understanding, and you have that perspective, man, oh man, the fears of this world in the same way that the pleasures of this world have this way of fading away. You will fear life less when you fear God more. It's so much like, it's so much like electricity do y'all realize how awesome electricity is? Electricity is so good. 
If, if you didn't have electricity, your laptop wouldn't work, your blow dryer wouldn't work, your television wouldn't work, this microphone, some of you look, I wish electricity wasn't working out right now, your microphone wouldn't work. If we didn't have electricity, your, your phone wouldn't work. You'd shrivel up and die. <laughs> Electricity's awesome. But you ever been hit by lightning? You ever had a surprise jolt of electricity? Have you ever touched a downed power line? If you have, we need to have another conversation. Yeah. <laughs> See, we, we love our electric blankets. We're not so fond of our electric chairs. It's just that electricity is marvelous, life-altering, but we have to have a healthy respect for its power. If that is true of electricity, how much more God? When you realize how awesome he is, how glorious his love is, and then you understand it is only the love of God that protects me from the wrath of God. Everything else fits in place. You'll fear life less when you fear God more. This whole notion, the fear of God, Proverbs chapter one, verse seven, it really has a, a, a special place in my heart. Some of you know this and, and others of you don't, but when I was 18 and scampered off from Texas where I'd grown up to go to college in New Jersey, I was a fairly new believer, had only been a Christian for a year and a half, not being raised this way at all. And my older sister who'd walked with Jesus for a few years, she gave me in a frame, Proverbs chapter one, verse seven, fear of the Lord's the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Cause she knew I was going up to college in New Jersey with a lot of smarty pants around him, a lot of very smart people at that college. And so I put that cross stitch that she made, I put it over my desk and every night before I started my homework, which is what you should do in college, I would devote, dedicate that, those studies to God. Because it was a, a daily, nightly way of reminding me in the middle of all that intelligence, all those smart people, that when some really intelligent people came up with some really thoughtful stuff that contradicted the word of God, the word of God was right and all the smarty pants were wrong. See, the fear of the Lord is not only, good shepherd, it's not only the fear of hell. The fear of the Lord is that realization that God knows what's best for me better than I do. That my own understanding about life misunderstands. And God, in every, whether, whether it's how, how do I spend my money and how do, how do I practice romance and how do I practice sexual intimacy and how do I engage with my parents and how do I engage with my kids? At every level, God knows what's best better for you better than you do. You fear God that way more, you'll fear life less. And the fear of the Lord. Man, is there any teaching that we've more lost in the 21st century. The, the, the idea of the fear of the Lord has just kind of been stolen from us. And, and you know how unpopular the idea of the fear of the Lord is? How you know it's very, very unpopular? When, when, when people say, think, my God, my God would never, my God only. Listen, good shepherd, there's no such thing as your God. There's God. You, he can't be your God because you don't own him. 
but you can be his person because he bought you. Hallelujah. You have been bought with a price. Good shepherd. Yeah, you will. You'll fear God more and that will help you fear life less because I'm tired. I'm tired of having my life be, be, be determined by those fears that never come true. Instead, I just want to bathe in his resurrection glory. And, and I want to let that, that awareness that there is nothing that life could bring me that's really good that even compares with how good heaven is. Is that the kind of life that you would like, not only right now in the here and now, but life after life? Here's what I want to invite you to do. I want to invite everyone as you're able, would you rise on your feet as you're able? And I also want to invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads if you would, please. And and some of you, this might have been the first time you've ever heard that fearing the Lord is really good. And the idea of having an an assured place in glory after you die is really good. And the realization that God knows what's best for you better than you do, it's really good. So if today you might want to say yes to Jesus, perhaps you've run away from him and today's the time to come back home. Or maybe you've never really heard the level, the fact that the love of God protects you from the wrath of God. And you want to bask in his love and avoid his wrath. And you'd like to come and say yes to Jesus. So if today, as all the heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if you would like to say yes to Jesus, even this very morning, would you raise a hand? People were doing it at nine o'clock. Thank you. Yes, thank you right there and there, there in the back. Hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you over there. Yes, praise the Lord. God is good. Thank you. Thank you for every raised hand. You can still say yes to Jesus. Stop being, thank you. You can stop being governed by fear because you, you fear the one who loves you the most. Thank you. Hallelujah. So you weren't able to see those responses, but, but I did. Would you uh, open your eyes and lift, lift your heads? And would you give the Lord a hand clap of praise today? And... So good. So good. We, we have our, our prayer team's going to make their way to the front during our concluding song. And if today, so make, go ahead, prayer team, if you would begin to make your way up now. And if, if you, you raise your hand and you want to come forward, to, we'd love for you to come forward to pray with someone. If you have another fear, you, maybe you didn't raise your hand. You didn't even know you could come forward and pray, but you have a, a prayer need that you have. Our prayer team is here to pray with you and for you as the band leads us in a song about the Holy Spirit. So Chris, take it away.